Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. Um, like James said, um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Ryan Silhavy. I'm one of the pastoral apprentices here at Evanston Bible Fellowship, and, I, and I'm very glad to see each of you here um, this morning. Uh, and I want to pause, uh, even, though, um, even though my sermon just started, I'm already pausing. Um, such a preacher thing to do. Uh, sorry. Uh, even though it's two days late, I just want to take a moment and wish all of you a very Merry Christmas on behalf of all of the staff, um, the deacons, the elders, the members of Evanston Bible Fellowship. I want to wish each of you, wish each of you a very Merry Christmas. Pray uh, that this would be a, a joyful, hopeful season uh, for each of you. Well, this is always an interesting time in the life of our church. Uh, It's sort of a time of transition between fall and winter. And as you notice, the church is a little more empty this morning. It's because our students are gone on winter break. They go to various parts of the country and the globe. Um, And uh, this is a bit of a time of transition. Uh, Speaking of transition, I've had my own personal time of transition this fall. In June, I graduated from Northwestern University with a degree in music, and I've begun a master's program at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is sort of the next step for me to become a pastor. And I'm very thankful to all of you in this church um, for helping to support me uh, and stand alongside me as I take that next step of my journey. Um, So even if I don't know you, uh, even if you're new here, I'm, I'm thankful for each of you. Well, as many of you know, EBF is a church that preaches through books of the Bible. We alternate Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. We go through whole books of the Bible. Right now, we are in the New Testament book of James. However, we are pausing this morning for one of our rare standalone sermons. And I'm going to be preaching to you from a text in Colossians chapter 1 that has deeply impacted my life as I think about the ways in which I've engaged with the Lord in this season. Uh, But before we jump into the sermon this morning, let's uh, go ahead and go to the Lord in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your Son into our world. I thank you for this Advent season that we have just uh, been through, an opportunity for us to reflect and remember upon Christ coming into this world as a baby. Lord, I pray that all of us here uh, would have ears to hear from you this morning, that you would speak powerfully through me in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give me uh, clarity of mind, concision of speech, spiritual energy, and physical strength so that I can preach the whole truth of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1, Colossians Chapter 1, we'll be starting in verse 15, going through verse 23. And while you turn there, uh, it's important for us to understand where we are, both in the Bible and in Paul's letters. So this is a letter that Paul wrote in the first century to the church at Colossae, a real first century church that Paul is writing to. And all of Paul's letters follow some flow of some kind. They follow a form. Uh, They start with a greeting. Sounds a little something like this. Dear Colossians, it's me, Paul. Okay, so it starts with a greeting. Uh, Next comes some Christology, which is a big word, and that means just Christ is the highest. Christ has preeminence. 
uh, high Christology comes next. Then theology, and for the different churches, that was a different message. Uh, He preached different things to the Corinthians and to the Ephesians and to the Galatians and to the Colossians, which is what we are studying this morning. Uh, So after a greeting, some kind of prayer, some Christology, theology, uh, he turns to what he and usually ends his books, um, and we call that for lack of, I'd like to just call that for lack of a better term, the Christian living section. Okay, just practical wisdom on how to live the Christian life, given that this Christology and theology is true. This morning we find ourselves right after Paul's greeting in the beginning of the high Christology section of Colossians. With that in mind, let's read Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Please follow along as I read. It says, He that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This morning I'd like to preach to you under the heading, Christ the Reconciler. Christ the Reconciler. And it's important before we jump in to define what reconcile means, right? I can't preach a sermon to you called Christ the Reconciler if we don't really square away what reconcile means. Reconcile is a verb. To reconcile means to restore friendly relations between. Reconcile means to restore friendly relations between. It can take many forms between two people, between two groups of people, uh, between nations even. But reconcile means to restore friendly relations between. When I speak of Christ the Reconciler this morning, I'm talking about Christ, fully God and fully man, who came into the earth, uh, which is the miracle of incarnation that we celebrate in the Christmas season, lived a perfect life, died in obedience to God, was buried and rose on the third day. And I believe that all of that happened in order to reconcile each of us to God. Christ the Reconciler means that he is reconciling us to God. He's restoring friendly relations between a sinful creation, sinful men and women, and a holy God. So put that in the back of your mind this morning as we go through the text. 
uh, that Christ came to this earth to restore friendly relations between you and God. Christ came to earth to reconcile you to himself. And here's, here's where I'm going this morning. If you forget everything that I say, leave with this one thing, what I believe to be the thrust of this passage that I just read. It's this. Christ came to earth to reconcile you to himself. Christ came to this earth to reconcile you to himself. Today we're going to see Christ the reconciler at work in three different ways. First, in his creative power. Second, in his head position. And third, in his reconciliation purpose. So, creative power, head position, and reconciliation purpose. So first, we're going to see Christ the reconciler at work in his creative power. Take a look with me at verse 15. Verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Stop right there. Most scholars agree that the beginning of our passage this morning is some kind of hymn. Some kind of hymn, just like we sang Christmas hymns this morning. Uh, This passage in its original form was some kind of hymn, which seems to go in line with what Paul says in Colossians 3, uh, just a few chapters later, that we are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs all to the glory of God the Father. And so this was originally some kind of hymn. And in this hymn, the overarching theme is what I just read to you. It's verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul begins our passage this morning by declaring the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ over everything. Not only did Jesus enter into creation and became fully man, but he was also fully God. So even though he joined into creation as a baby, which is what we celebrate this Christmas season, uh, even in the manger, he was still fully God, and even as a baby, had supremacy over the created order. So Paul begins our passage by talking about the supremacy and the preeminence of Jesus Christ over all creation. Let's keep reading in verse 16. It says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Here Paul acknowledges Christ's role in the creation of the world. Not just becoming a baby, but actually the creation of the world, that Christ, that Jesus Christ was active in the Genesis 1 creation account of the entire world. World, And I believe that even the Old Testament supports this, right? I don't believe it's a coincidence that in Genesis 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us. God says, let us make man. I believe the us in that verse refers to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, what we as Christians call the Trinity. Paul, in Colossians, is reminding us of what God put in the Bible from the very beginning, that Christ is active in creation, 
in the creation of the world from the very beginning. Eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. Inside of time, outside of time, backwards through time, all the ways that stretch our imagination, Christ was active in the creation of the world, fully God and fully man. Let's continue in our passage this morning. Verse 17, it says, And he is the, uh, excuse me, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So let's just, let's just stop for a minute here, okay? Uh, Pastor Jason is known every once in a while to do what he calls a sermon timeout. Uh, so I'm going to steal that from him, and I'm going to call sermon timeout. Okay, timeout, here we go. Let's pause. Every heartbeat in this room, every breath that we breathe, every life in this room, and not only that, not only just in this room or in this city or in this state or in our country, but the whole world, all life is being upheld right now in this moment by our sovereign, sustaining God. Christ is the sustainer of all life. Paul says in this verse that he is before all things, and in him, in Christ, all things hold together. I feel that too often we as believers in Jesus Christ can forget this crucial message. Right? We can construct a God who did all the right things theologically. Right? God created the world. God sent Jesus, who died for our sins, Uh, But we can construct this God that doesn't really seem to care about the details of our life. And I believe that Paul, in this verse, reminds us that God is not only creator, but God in Christ is the sustainer of all life, the sustainer of your life. So if you came into church this morning and you weren't thinking because of your circumstances or because of suffering that you're going through, if you came in thinking that God doesn't care or God doesn't love you, I believe that the Lord brought me here to tell you, whoever you are, that Christ is the sustainer of your life. He sustains your life by the word of his power. He upholds your life. He's the firstborn over all creation. The Bible says that God knows how many hairs are on each of our heads. Clearly, we serve a God who is interested not only in the creation of the world, the big picture stuff, but in what seems to be the most minute details of our life. Christ is the sustainer of your life, every life in this room and in this world. All right, that's the end of of sermon timeout. Okay, time in. Notice that in creation, Christ is already reconciling, right? Even though we aren't there yet in the passage, Christ is reconciling the creation by holding all things together, sustaining all of the created order as the image of the invisible God. Christ, the reconciler, is active in his creative power. Christ the Reconciler is active in creative power. Notice, second, that Christ the Reconciler is at work in his head position. His head 
position. Read with me, starting in verse 18. Starting in 18, it says, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Uh, this verse, these verses begin the, the, the second strophe, or the second verse, if you will, of Paul's hymn uh, th- that I mentioned previously. Not only is Christ the creator and sustainer of the world, Christ is also the head of the church. Here Paul returns to an illustration that he uses at several points throughout his letters. Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ and Christ as the head of that metaphorical, uh, illustrative body. The, the, The church is the body of Christ and Christ is the head of that body. And this, this illustration means several things for us today. If Christ is the head of the church, that means first that Christ is in charge. If Christ is the head of the church, which this verse clearly says, it says he's the head of the church, that means that Christ is in charge. Uh, one church uh, that I follow on, on social media puts it this way. They say that they have one senior pastor. They have one senior pastor. And his name is Jesus Christ. Their senior pastor is Jesus Christ. And to some extent, they're right. Jesus is the senior pastor of the capital C global church, all Christians assembling together all across the world. Jesus is in charge. And not only that, uh, but notice that Jesus is in charge of our local church. That Jesus is, in some sense, the senior pastor of Evanston Bible Fellowship. And that means several important things for us. This means that Jesus directs our local church. Just as the head directs the body, we believe that God, through Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is active in leading our church and leading our lives forward. That's why we gather here in this space. That's why we sing worship music. That's why we preach from the Bible. It's because we believe that it brings glory to God the Father through Christ the Reconciler, empowered by the the life and breath of the Holy Spirit. Christ is actively directing our local church, leading us uh, individually and corporately together, as we live in community together, Christ is directing and leading our church forward. Christ is reconciling all to himself. He's restoring friendly relations between us as he leads the lives of believers forward. Christ the reconciler is active in his head position. Notice third that Christ the reconciler is active in reconciliation purpose. Christ the reconciler is at work in his reconciliation purpose. Please read with me starting in verse 21. It says, And you, 
who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let's just stop right there and take a look back at at verse 21. It says, you, you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We don't hear that message in our culture, right? We don't hear that we were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. No one tells us that on a regular basis outside of the Bible and the preached word of God. Uh, and, and to just illustrate this a little bit, in my brain, I think of, I think of a timeline, okay? A timeline, remember, math class, so two lines going infinity in either direction. Uh, and let's just go ahead and label this side of the stage. We'll call this negative infinity, Okay, representing total sinfulness and wickedness. Every part of ourselves is sinful. Let's call the pulpit here zero. Let's call that neutral. So neither good nor bad. Maybe we can lean in one direction or the other, and let's call this positive infinity okay? or, or, or perfection, doing only good things. So you all with me so far? Negative infinity, total wickedness, sort of neutral at zero, positive infinity, God's perfection. I believe that our culture wants to situate us right about here. Okay? So, so, you know, all of the world would acknowledge that there's evil in the world. We are capable of doing bad things. Uh, but outside of the Bible, a lot of people want to say that we're good people, that we do good. Uh, but Paul, in this verse, reminds us that we were once alienated and hostile in mind. We don't hear that often. Notice that in the verse, it's not only as if we are neutral. It's not only as if we have the choice to do good, and sometimes we do bad, but it's okay. But actually, we were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We weren't just neutral. We were actually enemies of God. That before we believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord, And as the savior of the world, we were enemies of God, completely on this side of the stage, completely at negative infinity, totally wicked in all that we do. Now, we're still capable, even even before we became Christians, we're still capable of doing good things, right? And we believe that that's the light and the grace of God somehow shining through our lives. Uh, But in overall disposition, we were enemies of God. Paul says that we were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And that would be a very sad story if it ended there. It would be a very sad story if it ended there. But notice that the passage goes on. Read verse 22. 21 says, You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, enemies of God, Christ has now reconciled you in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Christ took us from being an enemy of God and he reconciled us to him. Notice that that doesn't just get us to zero, right? That would, that would be enough if, if God in Christ 
uh, when, when, when Christ died and rose again, if he got us to that neutral point, uh, to where we're able to do good things, but maybe we have to work a little harder to inherit, uh, the, uh, inherit eternal life, inherit the grace and the favor and the kingdom and the righteousness of God. Uh, but Christ didn't do that. He didn't just get us to neutral. Read verse 22 again. He reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Christ didn't just get us to neutral. Christ gave us all of his righteousness. Taking us to to positive infinity in my illustration, right? Giving us all of the righteousness of Christ, fully God and fully man. Christ reconciled us. That's the purpose that he came down from heaven into earth. He died on the cross in order to reconcile each of us, in order to reconcile you And to reconcile me to God the Father. To restore friendly relations. To take us from an enemy of God to a friend of God. Holy and blameless. Above reproach with the righteousness and the glory of Christ. All to the glory of God the Father. Christ has restored friendly relations between you and God by his body of flesh in his death and resurrection. And by professing your faith in Jesus, by acknowledging in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of the world, you'll be delivered from eternal death into eternal life. Christ didn't just get us to neutral. He made us a friend of God. Christ gave us his righteousness, presenting us holy and blameless before him. One theologian put it this way. He says, Christ saved us, past tense, from the penalty of sin, uh, which, was, which is eternal death. Christ saved us, past tense, from the penalty of sin. Christ is saving us, present tense, ongoing, from the power of sin in our lives. And Christ will save us, future tense, from the very presence of any sin. Does that make sense? Christ did save us from the penalty of sin. Christ is saving us currently from the power of sin and Christ will save us from the very presence of sin as we worship God with Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit in heaven forever and ever. Somebody say amen. Thank you. Uh, Christ has reconciled us to himself. Christ restored the friendly relations between us and God in his body of flesh by his death. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't even end with Christ giving us his righteousness. The story doesn't end on the cross 2,000 years ago. Christ is still in the process of daily reconciliation. Notice that the passage always puts reconciled in the past tense. Uh, He says Christ reconciled us to God uh, in his body of flesh by his death. That's past tense. That's that penalty of sin that I was mentioning. Paul's saying, 
Christ saved us from eternal death, but there is still daily reconciliation that needs to happen in our lives. And verse 23 comments on that. So right after what we just read, presenting us holy and blameless and above reproach before him, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Let's stop right there. Uh, That if at the beginning of verse 23 seems like a pretty big if, right? If we're honest, uh, that if Christ has reconciled us, but then Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith. And I don't believe that Paul is saying that it's possible for Christians to lose their salvation. There's a lot of debate on verses such as these, but I believe that the Bible is overwhelmingly clear that once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved uh, eternally, and that there is no taking that away from you. Christians cannot lose their salvation if they have truly believed in Jesus Christ as Uh, the Lord and the Savior of the world. Uh, However, we do have daily reconciling work, like I mentioned. If Christ is the reconciler, then we are to respond by daily reconciling our life to God. We're caught in a feedback loop between Christ, God in Christ, reconciling us to himself, so we reconcile ourselves to God. God restored on the cross, friendly relations between uh, us and God, uh, but we have work to do every day. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. The book of James that, that we're going through uh, this fall uh, puts it this way. They, they illustrate, um, James illustrates this with uh, the image of a sailboat, right? That we're not to be tossed about by the winds of any doctrine, but that we are to remain rooted, stable, and steadfast in the faith of Jesus Christ. And and I know at this point you may be asking, uh, but Ryan, how do I live this out? How do I live out this scripture? And I have a lot to say about that, but I believe when possible that the Bible should speak for itself. Uh, So with that in mind, let's just turn uh, one page in your Bibles to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Remember, I mentioned the form of Paul's letters. Uh, We spent most of our time this morning in Christology. Uh, This is the beginning of what I called the Christian living section. Practical, daily wisdom for how to live the Christian life, given that this theology is true. So given that Christ is the reconciler of the world, that Christ came to earth to reconcile you to himself, this is how you are to respond. And my my heading here, uh, how I want to apply this to your life, I want to say one thing, and that's this. Change costs. Change costs something. Let's just read Colossians 3. Let's start in verse 5. Let's start in verse 5. Paul starts the Christian living section right here. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. This doesn't really make sense, right? We don't hear this in our culture. Uh, today's, today's December 27th, right? Um, so we all know that at this time of year, 
if you go online, if you read the newspaper, thousands and thousands of people are telling you all of the things that you need to add to your life in 2016. All of the products that you need to buy, all of the foods that you need to eat, all the exercises that you need to try, the equipment that you need to own to do those exercises, right? Everyone wants to add things to your life in this season. But Paul stands in stark contrast to what our culture says and starts the Christian living section, the practical wisdom of the book of Colossians, responding to Christ the Reconciler by first putting to death. You see, change costs something. If we want to follow God, if we want to respond to Christ being the Reconciler of the world, first we have to put to death what is earthly in you. Let's keep reading uh, after verse 5. He lists several things, and I don't have time to go through all of these, uh, but let's just read it. Uh, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Let's just stop right there. Uh, So that's a lot, right? There's a lot of things that Paul says we have to put to death. Uh, And and again, I don't have time to go through each of these. Uh, So what I'd ask and challenge each of you that are here this morning Uh, to do is to to really spend time in Colossians 3 this week. Spend time in Colossians 3 between verse 5 and verse 10, praying over where God is calling you to put something to death before you can put on the new self. Change costs something in our lives. Where our culture says that we have to add all these things to our life as if our lives weren't full enough already of stuff and relationships, some of which are good. Obviously, relationships are good. Our lives are full already, uh, but in this season, as we approach January 1st, right, our culture tells us we have to put all this new stuff on. But Paul says, first, we have to take off the dirty clothes and clean ourselves in order to put on the new behavior. So I challenge you, as you think about the ways in which God is calling you to grow in this season, don't jump immediately to what you can add to your life. Start with what God is calling you to put to death, responding to Christ the Reconciler, continuing the work of restoring friendly relations between you and God. Christ saved you from the penalty of sin, but we still have work in this day and age so that Christ can save us from the power of sin over our lives. Change costs something. And and real quick, I'll I'll just illustrate this. Uh, I used to work at a gym, right? I used to work at a health club. It's called Midtown Athletic Club. Uh, And I bet you can guess what the busiest day of the year was. The busiest day of the entire year is January 1st. 
right? Where everyone wants to add that new behavior of exercising to their routine. Uh, January 2nd comes around. It's still full, right? But, you know, maybe two or three people kind of fell off the wagon. Uh, January 3rd, January 4th. Uh, By January 10th, by February 1st, the people still in the gym were the ones who were there from the beginning. And I believe that this has something, that, that, that this is important for us to capture here in this moment, that this illustration shows us something about our spiritual lives. Those people that wandered away from the gym didn't consider the cost of what they were doing. They didn't first put something to death, maybe eating out or spending their time watching Netflix or whatever it may be for that person. They didn't first put to death in order to add the new habit of exercising. And I believe that as Christians, we can set out on all these goals and, you know, say that we're going to read the Bible 80 times next year and, you know, we're going to listen to 8,000 sermons uh, in 2016 uh, and we're going to try this new diet, new exercise program. Uh, We're going to do all these things without first pausing to consider what do we have to leave behind in 2015. Responding to Christ the Reconciler, I believe, first means put to death so that you can put on the new self. So once you've put to death, once you've prayed through this list, once you've acknowledged the areas of your life in which you need to leave in 2015, leave behind you so that you can grow closer to our Lord in Christ in 2016, then we can get to verse 12 in Colossians 3. And I'll just read this real fast. Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, uh, forgiving one another. In verse 14, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So once we've considered the cost of gospel change, then we can walk forward in newness of life, being thankful to God, bringing glory to God, responding to Christ the Reconciler by putting on all of these things, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, patience, love, peace, joy. We respond to Christ the Reconciler first by putting to death the old, and the sinful, and then by raising up the new and the God-honoring. Christ came to earth to reconcile you to himself. Christ came to earth to reconcile you to himself. In his creative power, in his head position, and in his reconciliation purpose. And we respond to Christ the Reconciler by living lives of obedience, putting to death the sinful and raising to life the obedient and God-honoring habits. And notice that this all happens under our God in Christ who sustains all creation by the word of his power, whose love 
in you and through you overflows, who loves you um, and who is with you and for you. We worship a God who is with you and for you. Friends, this is my prayer for you today, that in 2016, you would respond to Christ the Reconciler by putting to death and then raising to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this scripture. I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile the whole creation to yourself. I thank you that you have restored the friendly relations between us and you through Christ's death on the cross. Lord, I pray that uh, every day this week and in this new year that this text would become increasingly clear in each of our lives, that we would respond to Christ the Reconciler by putting to death the sinful habits so that you can overflow in our lives as we live lives that are glorifying to you. Ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It's now our time this morning where we share our uh, offering. And if you're new, this